Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MTB Podcast, episode 80, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. I am Jeff. I'm Jared. And I'm Liam. Today we are going to talk about all sorts of various mountain bike things, as always. Um, for example, bike sizing, the variance between brands, personal preferences, etc. Then we're going to talk about tire casings. We talk a ton about tires, but casings is a topic that often gets glossed over and is a bit confusing, so we're going to dig into that. We're going to talk about how to support kids riding and racing mountain bikes, suspension setup 101, fancy new bikes and parts, and then answer some listener questions. Let's go. Let's do it. Mountain bike sizing. So this is a very confusing topic, mostly because, you know, historically mountain bikes have been sold in small, medium, large, extra large. And one brand's medium or large is not another brand's medium or large. And then it got more complicated when people started getting really preferential and they just wanted a certain size and feel of a bike. And so they would say, oh, you know, the brands might have advised you, hey, if you're this tall, you ride this bike. But someone's like, well, I'm this tall and I actually want that one because of X, Y, and Z. So it got a little complicated in the mountain bike world and it's kind of increasingly getting more complicated. But we're going to try and demystify that and talk about some of the most important things to make sure the bike feels good and comfortable and fits you correctly. And then how, if you go a step further, your preferences on fit, which then kind of changes the feel and ride qualities of the bike, which is then also separate from geo preferences, right? Like things like head tube angle, chainstay length, wheelbase length, uh, bottom bracket height. Those are geo preferences rather than like actual sizing to make sure the bike fits you. So uh, to start, I will, I will just kind of give you my personal story on it. Um, I'm a short guy, I'm five foot eight. And typically I would be on maybe a small, but often just a medium sized frame, depending on the brand. And, you know, in the early years when I came from mostly riding BMX bikes, I actually liked riding size, small mountain bikes and size, small mountain bikes, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago were ridiculously tiny and had 26 inch wheels <laughs> and they're and they're totally different now so bikes have grown in length and when you say grown in length that's that's basically saying like what a small was five years ago for x brand is now way larger than it is um you know than it was so I used to like riding size small mountain bikes because I liked how they felt more like BMX bikes. The reach was really short um, and they were just like tight and snappy feeling. Then as I started getting into racing more and, you know, realizing that a larger bike had a bigger wheelbase just by the nature of it and the bigger wheel, longer wheelbase was more stable at speed, I started having a preference for that. Um, all of this kind of came to a head in, man, I don't know, it was like four years ago, I had a Yeti SB 4.5. So it's a four and a half inch travel, 29 inch wheeled trail bike. And I actually cut the seat tube on it. It's a carbon fiber bike, um, $3,500 frame. And I, and I took a Dremel to the seat tube because I wanted to ride the Geo and the size of the XL, but I was too short to fit the correct size dropper post with how huge the seat tube actually was on the XL. Um, so I cut the thing and, and it was a total disaster. We made a YouTube video about it and it was like the video that basically sort of launched the popularity of our YouTube channel. Um, and I said in the video, don't ever do that. I'll 
I'll never do it again. Voyager warranty, not a good idea. Although it was fun and I had a good time, I ended up with like a mountain of carbon fiber dust in my hair after that and wasted an entire Sunday in the shop by myself doing that. So, and and since then, um, you know, it was almost ironic because the following years after that, all like every single bike brand started making their seat tubes shorter so that you could fit a longer travel dropper post or if you wanted to size up, you know, because you preferred that field, then you could still fit the correct size dropper and preventing the entire problem that I had with that Yeti. So for me now, I kind of, you know, I kind of know when I look at a geo chart on a bike, like I know what reach I want, right? So reach is a little hard to explain without seeing an image, but it's basically the size of that bike when you're in the standing position, which obviously your, your stack height and your stem length affect that too, but that's a lot more easily adjustable than the frame, of course. So reach is a huge one. And then that's the standing one and then seated climbing the seat tube angle. So over the years, I've kind of figured out like, hey, I, I prefer, um, you know, basically a 470, 470 millimeter reach for myself. And I like that. And like, if I'm on a bike with that size, that usually ends up being a large most of the time, depending on the brand. Um, I enjoy that feel and, and like that bike. And it's it's different for everyone. So it, it gets a little confusing. Um, Liam, what's what are your preferences on like size and where you feel comfortable now versus how, how did it evolve, right? Like when you were a novice in the sport, how did you sort of learn about sizing? And then how did like your sort of mentality towards sizing evolve as you like started riding and racing mountain bikes more and more? So I was kind of similar and I, I came from BMX. Um, so when I first started riding mountain bikes, I really liked that smaller, snappier feel. And then I actually started racing cross country and I was about five, nine, when I started, I'm, a, I'm like a lanky five eleven now. Um, and I would size down on the cross country race bikes to get more like of an aggressive position. So I'd ride mediums, Yeah. even though I, I kind of was on that teeter of a medium large. And then once I kind of stopped racing, started working for worldwide, I got a medium SB 5.5 for my first like kind of trail bike. And I got medium cause that's what I always rode. And I thought it was fine and it jumped fun and everything. And then I, after that, I think after talking to you and everything and, and kind of getting, you know, a little bit more like just nerded out on geometry, I rode a large 4.5 and I was faster and more comfortable on that large than I was on that medium, even though it had less travel. Um, so then as things kind of evolved, I kind of found I, I'm a, so I'm 5'11", we're just 5'8". And I also like around a 465 to 470 mil reach. So, which happens to be about a large on most bikes. On so my Mondraker, that was a medium. And again, the small, medium, large on everyone's bikes are different. Yeah, which Mondraker means, by nature is an outlier of a brand. Yeah, like, they kind of known started, for having really long everything. Yeah, yeah. they kind of started this super long forward geometry, as they call it. Um, so, yeah, now I'm kind of found like balanced in that 470, 465 mil reach. Um, and that's where I'm kind of got a sweet spot for. Yeah, both feeling my, comfortable. Yeah, feeling comfortable, both seated and standing position, and and kind of where I like it. And and I'll I'll mess with stem length a little bit. I run longer stems than Jeff does too. Um, so I'm I'm about a forty to fifty mil stem, where Jeff is like a thirty two to thirty five. Yeah. So yeah, and I think the common theme you'll hear from all of us in this is just comfortability, right? Like when yeah. you're comfortable on your bike, it feels like it should. It behaves like it should. Like you feel good on it no matter what size it is, like if you're comfortable on it, you're going to ride good and have a good ride and feel confident and likely ride faster than if you're uncomfortable. And same thing with being clipped in or being on flats, like whatever you feel comfortable on is, is going to be better for you. So don't like force yourself into riding a bike too long or too short. 
if it's uncomfortable just because like your riding buddy was like yeah the longer wheelbase on the xl is way better you're five six just buy it like <laughs> eh, it doesn't doesn't really yeah. work like that <laughs> so yeah. yeah being comfortable on the bike is is going to be the key thing there um yeah i don't know so so jared what are, what are your thoughts on the whole thing yeah i mean i pretty much like liam am a large on i guess yeah typically like i'm a large on most bikes um 511 as well like i'm super comfortable on my large yeti sp150 but i do like to run a shorter stem like 32 mil stem like if i run the stock stem i feel like i'm a little bit stretched out um kind of like how i felt on the salsa blackthorn like that was a super long bike yeah, those were larges that we had as yeah. demos right yeah, yeah those were really long it was like 480 reach with 50 mil stems yeah. so super outlier long. of a large totally and yeah like kind of similar to the Mondraker f podium i had to like that bike had a super long reach super mm-hmm. long stem but yeah shorter stem on there like felt more comfortable but yeah typically i'm a large most bikes like i kind of like that 470 to 480 reach yeah and definitely prefer a steeper seat tube angle um when i just do not like when the seat tube is super slack and i feel like i'm like pedaling over the back tire like i do not like that definitely yeah. prefer a, a shorter you know shorter reach or like yeah yeah, so that's that's kind of the next thing, right, is, you know, reach is huge, um, and then C-tube angle. So C-tube angle is another one of those things that was largely ignored or unnoticed for quite a long time. And then it, it, there's, there's these, like, various things on bikes that sort of become popular, right? Like, brands talk about them more, people talk about them more, you know, and they just trend. And it's like, oh, you know, at one point it was chainstay length was like this big topic. And then, you know, it was head tube angle, then it was chainstay length, you know, then it was reach, then it was C-tube angles, probably like the latest big sizing situation everyone's talking about. And why that makes such a difference, which, correct me if I'm wrongly, it makes way more of a difference the taller you are, correct? Because correct. that angle is coming basically from the bottom bracket sort of towards the rear wheel. And the taller you are, the higher your, you know, your butt is going to be from that bottom bracket. And then the taller you are, you're going to be sitting way further behind the bottom bracket. So that C2 angle is more important the taller you are. So taller riders complained about that a ton. Um, And and that's kind of where brands started realizing like, huh, we, we should adjust that. And then they just kind of realized in general, like the steeper we make it, you know, you can take this long travel, 150 millimeter travel bike. And like, if you're sitting almost over the BB, you have a lot of power pedaling and can pedal efficiently. And it was like, wow, like steep in that C-tube angle and you can ride this longer travel bike. And the whole thing just feels more efficient. You know, yeah. it's like, wow, this bike used to pedal like a pig and now it pedals pretty good. So it was, that was one of the big sort of epiphanies I think geometry had in the last probably few years, you mm-hmm. think? Last few yeah, years. that definitely... Did, Reach combined with C2 bangers. Yeah, those two huge. together were like one of the major things that made these longer travel bikes start pedaling more efficiently and more comfortably up hills. Um, so that was huge. So I, I guess we're, we're still a little on the on the side of complexity here. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah. like for taller riders, is that where kind of effective seat tube comes into play versus like actual seat tube? Correct. Yeah. So most geometry charts will only have one seat tube angle. Um, and it's usually the effective seat tube angle, which means it's an imaginary line from the bottom bracket to most of the time they measure that from a, um, parallel to the ground line from the head tube angle of how the bike sits. Mm -hmm. So that's not actually where your seat is. Your seat's usually above your head tube angle. So this effective yeah, like seat. the head, like the top of your head tube. If you draw a straight line, correct. It's hard to this is hard to speak yeah. without visualizing. But if you're looking yeah. at a geo chart, so the top is of your to head tube with a straight line uh, back to where it intersects with your seat tube, 
your actual or seat post, I should yeah, say. Yeah, do your seat mm-hmm. post at yeah. that point. Um, that is where they measure effective seat tube angle. Now that's different from actual, and it's usually actual is actually slacker. So that also affects a tall rider. So like a uh, brand that comes to mind is just evil. Yeah. Right. So they they usually have a pretty steep effective, but their actual is actually a, a couple degrees slacker. So if you're bigger on the bike, like if I were to ride a medium, and I normally ride a large, my actual seat seat height would extend so far, my effective seat to mangle would be closer to 70 versus the claim 75. Mm. So that makes a big difference. Totally. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, it is. And that's, I mean, you hear, you generally hear, in my experience, like guys guys and gals like 6'1 plus, especially like 6'3 plus mm-hmm. that are like really complaining and loud about seat tube angles where <clears throat> at 5'8", I don't really care a ton. Like it doesn't make it, I've never really been bothered by it. Like I've, I've definitely noticed the advantages um, when bikes started coming with steeper seat tube angles, especially longer travel ones. But I don't know, it, it's not a huge deal at my height. It's more, the taller you are, the more yeah. important it is to like pay attention to that metric when you're you, buying a bike. Especially cause you kind of ride a large. <clears throat> so actually your seat is closer to that imaginary parallel line yeah. to your head tube angle mm-hmm. where mine and Jared's is a couple inches above it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so then you mix your seat tube angle with your reach, and then that's how you are climbing, right? That's you climb your on your bike seventy percent of the time mm-hmm. uh, if you're trail riding. So that's a, that's a big comfort thing, on, yeah. and how comfortable you are. Yeah. So yeah, this is still this is still gotten fairly complex. So let's let's give a word of <laughs> advice a word of advice for. Um, those, those of you listeners who don't want to sit there and stare at geo charts for like seven different bikes you're considering right now, if you can demo a bike, that's the most important thing. If you know what your existing bike is and it feels either too big or too small or just right, figure out those geo numbers, compare it to what new bike you're considering buying. That's another good strategy there. And if you're in between sizes, so this happens a ton. So, I mean, it probably still happens a lot, even with the way bikes are sized now. A lot of, yes, Liam's the same way. Like a lot of, in my experience, a lot of people who are five foot 11, they're like, I could ride a medium or I could ride a large. Like the geo, the the sizing charts say like the medium goes up to five eleven and the large starts at five eleven. That's a very common question. And my answer to that, you know, is as long as you can still fit the dropper, if you were to get the large, you can still fit the size dropper you want on there is what is your preference, right? So like, what are you riding now? How comfortable do you feel on it? Um, the large bike is just going to have a little bit bigger reach, not by much, like most bikes from a medium to a larger, not even an inch, right? It's like three quarters. Yeah. Like know? 20 millimeters. Yeah. Right? yeah, 15, yeah 20, 15, 15, 20, 20, 15, 20 mil. Yeah. yeah. So it's, people are like, Oh, that's only like this much. Like, well, that yeah, is a huge I, I, difference. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if you, the smaller bike's going to feel a little closer in a little more nimble, a little more upright. Um, the longer bike is my pay is slight bit more stable at speed because the wheelbase is going to be longer. The reach is going to be longer. You know, that's kind of the theory of long bikes in general. So if, you know, you just have to kind of think about that. What kind of rider am I? Do I always keep the wheels on the ground and I ride fast and I'm worried about stability and I want to like make sure I feel roomy and comfortable? Cool. Go with the large. If you're like, you know what? I like to do cutties and just I'm popping everywhere and I jump like, yeah, you might want to actually end up going with the medium then if you're in between sizes. So, um, 
hopefully that didn't make it any more confusing. But <laughs> reach is important to know. You know, the easiest, I think some of the easiest things, what are you riding now? Are you comfortable? Look at that versus the new bike you're considering. See tube angle, the taller you are, the more important that is to pay attention to um, if you're buying a new bike. And, you know, again, it just all boils back down to what you're comfortable on. Like if you're comfortable on the bike, you're going to have a good time and it's going to be all right. So, and, and yeah. don't be... Don't be shy and afraid if you're short and you want to ride a long bike because you just really prefer the wheelbase or if you're tall and you're like, oh, I just really want it to feel like a BMX bike. Like, that's fine, too. Like, it might be a little bit of an outlier, but, you know, don't be shy about that. Like, everyone has different sizing preferences on bikes, and that's just the way the, the bike world goes. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Any last thoughts? Demo as many bikes as you can. Yeah, yeah, that helps. Not not that we live in an environment where you can demo a lot of bikes, but it's coming back a little bit. So if, if you can demo more bikes or even ride your buddy's bike um, and then just, I don't know, just paying attention to it. You know, what reaches on this? What C2 is it? I rode it. I felt X, you know, versus Y, you know, just take those notes down. So there you go. That hopefully helped you guys on bike sizing. And now a word from our sponsors. Good day, mates. This is Jack from Down Under. I've got the best Australian mountain bike cornering courses you've ever seen. Everybody knows Australians corner the best on every mountain bike, every race. It's world-renowned, and we could teach you how to do it. We've got online courses and in-person courses in Perth, Australia. Check us out, jacksaussiecutties.net. And now, back to the show. Hey, I kiss curb too, okay? <laughs> Yeah, it happens. Blew up a I nine rim. Embarrassing. God, that's a funny story. Let's talk about that. Actually, okay. No, yeah. Here we go. (laughs) Oh no. Tire casings and why they matter a lot, right, Jared? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. So tire casings often overlooked because people are more concerned about brand and pattern and width, but casings really make a difference. And uh, we were just joking about how Jared. Uh, attempt? Did you even attempt to bunny hop the curb, or did you just? That was the problem. I did attempt to bunny hop the curb. <laughs> so the story gets more embarrassing. Okay, so there's this, you know, this curb and this uphill near a, a trail that we like to ride all the time, and and really the best way to do it is just to roll the curb. But I decided to be a great idea to bunny hop, try bunny hop the curb, and I just came up the tiniest bit short, just so my tire interfaced perfectly with the edge of the curb, and then. Uh, proceeded to blow out my tire instantly and then also blew up my rim and uh i was walking home after that so on a on a those were was it a carbon wheel set or? no thank thankfully okay. no it was uh industry nine trail 270 uh 24 holes so still like a 1300 hundred dollar wheel set that yeah you had caused some yeah. damage to just of a but that's because <laughs> uh, you know, i was getting a little cocky yeah it probably had like a pretty light tire on there i think it was a wtv trail boss of so the light casing yeah. and um but yeah just case case the hell out of the curb and just yeah i was yeah. so embarrassed I, it, was it to happens to a lot of people yeah um so don't feel too bad <laughs> felt really bad <laughs> there, there is there is yeah there's a number of like weird spots where we ride most of the time that you kind of you cross roads and there's curbs or you, you know you ride through a parking lot for a segment from one trailhead to the next and you got to bunny hop some curbs and people make mistakes but it's the same kind of thing so uh, you know the tire casing is how thick that whole casing is and if you do something like hit a rock of course or a curb um that's gonna you know maybe determine if that tire is gonna snake bite and slice a hole in the sidewall versus not and this boils back down in my opinion i think you know we've talked about this a bit in videos in the past and 
The lighter you are, you know, again, if, if you're not prone to denting rims, you can probably get away with lighter casings. If you're prone to denting rims and you're riding really rocky, fast trails, then you should probably step up to thicker casings. Like the whole thing can kind of be summed up in that. I guess where it gets a little confusing is that there's a, but every various different tire brand has got a different terminology, which mm-hmm. is so confusing um, to note, like to try and explain to you which casing is really heavy and which casing is really light. And, <laughs> yeah. that, and that's, there's so many variations that it gets really complicated. So like for myself, um, I'm mostly always riding Maxxis tires and EXO casing is just what I like, like 150 pounds, five foot eight, not a big guy. Um, I'm usually pretty smooth on the bike and I'm not usually riding like crazy burly trails. So EXO casing on like all my Maxxis tires is fine. Like I don't really have an issue. I'm not really pinch flatting, um, extremely rarely. So like, it's all good. I'm not prone to denting rims. Um, then you have what EXO plus yep. then double down, then, then double downhill, down, then downhill. Okay. And that's Maxis. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the order of, yeah. you know, lightest, lightness, yeah, yeah yep. lightness. Well, I guess there, we were talking, there is something actually lighter than EXO, but it almost doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Like old school icons has like a non EXO. Like really version. lightweight, like yeah. 2.1 with cross country tires you could get with like a non EXO casing, but I think they might not even be tubeless ready at that point. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, every brand's got a different sort of terminology for the casings and then so Jared, your experience, you just now, you mentioned you recently are running thicker casing now because yes. of why and tell us that well, story. Yeah. Now, I mean, now I'm running double down, uh, aggressor 2.5, 29 by 2.5 in the rear on my SB150 and EXO plus Asagai 29 by 2.5 in the front. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to be able to run a little bit lower pressure and not have to worry so much about blowing up my wheels and just kind of push it on the trail a little bit more. Cause I'd just kind of realized like I was holding myself back because I felt like I was going to just blow up my wheels if I pushed it a yeah. little bit harder. Yeah. That's not a good feeling. No, if you're holding yourself back because you're worried about breaking your yeah. bike, you're, <laughs> you're riding the wrong bike and or on the wrong trail. Yeah. All the above. So I'm like, well, yeah, my bike can definitely handle more than what my, you know, wheels, like the check that I, those wheels can cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I needed to step up the casing. So yeah, double down and EXO plus. So I might take a page out of Liam's book eventually and do like double down DH casing. Like if I really just want to go to the extreme, but yeah, yeah I'm really stoked with how it is. I just like love the feeling of having that like insurance policy for my, for my wheels. Yeah. You know? makes sense. So yeah. Liam, you're doing downhill casing in the back and double down in the front currently because double downs are a little hard to get, yeah. but normally I'd run a double down, double down. Um, and that's like two reasons. One, for the protection and uh, for hitting rocks and everything. I tend to ride sometimes a little bit more like remote trails or I'll go on trips. And the yeah. last thing I want to do is have a tire issue because I was saving 100 grams on a 32-pound bike. I would be the guy to take a risk like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and when we went to Moab, I secretly put EXO Plus on your bike just to make sure I didn't have to fix your tires. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because, I mean, that that's like one of those trips where, well, I was running carbon rims, the mm-hmm. Envy wheels, the AM30s, and then it was like, well, we're going to Moab, super rocky. We're going to be long ways away from, because that's the thing with casings, right? Like, if you're running tubeless and you actually snake bite that thing, you might, like, obliterate the tire entirely. Yeah. And if you do that and you're 20 miles away from anything else, or even you're on a trip and you don't have a spare tire, then it's like, well, now you got to go buy a whole new tire, and tires are expensive, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know for me, like all my local stuff, I'm just always EXO is fine. Um, but yeah, if I'm taking trips, EXO plus is probably a safer bet, especially if it's a place like Moab where it's just super rocky. 
Yeah, so I like I like the double downs um, and downhole casing. Uh, on top of that, they also make them in a little bit softer rubber for Maxis, which is great. And they make mm-hmm. a Max Grip versus Max Terra. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's yeah. cool. Um, and also, you just get a really good feel. Like it's a different feel going yeah. to a thicker casing on a trail bike. You feel pretty invincible. And now my bike is definitely better than I am. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. So and and I'm a lightweight rider though too. So I'm only 150 pounds, but I find that a, a thicker casing allows me to ride to my actual potential and I can just like take stupid lines without the risk of walking out like 10 miles. Yeah. 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 No, I mean that, that's definitely a good theory on it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I always tell people like if you're prone to denting rims or if you just are constantly having problems like slashing your tires open because you're hitting them on rocks really hard, like step up your casings. Yeah. Yeah. And And the terminology is the most confusing part. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and your terrain matters too. You're riding in, you know, PNW. You can run EXO with a bunch of PSI and you'll be fine. Yeah, you're riding kind of Arizona, um, a lot yeah. of kind of sharp stuff. Sharper stuff. stuff. Yeah, you, sharp Sedona, rocks, yeah. Sedona, like yeah, yeah Phoenix. You'll bump up your tire pressure. Yeah, and run a thicker casing. Yeah, and you know that's kind of how you're gonna kind of yeah. survive those kind of trails. Yeah, yeah, terrain plays a huge role there. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in in a in a shortcut. You know, we talk a lot about Maxis because that's kind of the the dominant player in the mountain bike side of things in, in North America, at least. But if you're running other brands, usually they make it fairly clear. I think WTB is probably the most clear, yeah, right? They like have like, light they just literally tough. call it light and tough. Yeah, so, like, like that's what I'm talking about. You understand that? There you go. Yeah. Um, but the, the shortcut for other brands, you know, Continental, Schwalbe, Ether Teen, Terravel is like, look at the weights usually. Like that's mm-hmm. my dead giveaway. If you're on their website, on the tire website, and it's the same if they're both 2.5 inch wide and both say 29 or whatever it's the same exact diameter and width tire and one has one is you know what 80 grams heavier 200 grams heavier usually 100 150 grams yeah. for a decent step up in case yeah so that'll tell you like okay the, the heavier it gets in the same exact size just means the casing is thicker and yep. the same mm-hmm. model tire so mm-hmm. yeah usually brands try and explain what's going on there but it takes some patience to sit there sometimes and read all of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Speaking of other brand tires, we, by the time this podcast goes live, we may or may not have already launched a YouTube video about basically other brands of tires, except for Maxxis, right? Mm-hmm. So like just other cool brands that are out there, you know, there's a lot of other good tire brands. Maxxis has a huge share of the market because they really do make some great tires and a great product and a lot of options, but there's other brands out there for, for those of you that don't want to ride that Maxxis train and have that yellow logo. So anyways, if you're interested in that, check that out, but um, good luck figuring out the uh, tire casing terminology per brand and memorizing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tire casings. And now, a word from our sponsors. Looking for the best chain lube in the universe? Look no further than my very own Charlie's Chain Treatment for 13-speed gearbox drivetrains only. My lube will leave your chain better than new and will leave competitors in the dust. Lather on and have the riding experience of a lifetime. And now, back to the show. Okay, next topic here. How to support kids riding and racing mountain bikes and suspension setup 101. So, 
how to support kids riding and racing mountain bikes, I just wanted to basically uh, mention um, two things. One, NICA, National Interscholastic Cycling Association, which is bringing mountain bike racing to high schools all over the country, which is an incredible organization that um, we've donated a lot to and really enjoy. And then I also wanted to mention Grow Cycling, Grow Cycling Foundation. Do you remember what they do, Jared? You had it memorized at one point. Oh, my gosh. You're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> it's promoting education, access, and opportunities that increase diversity and inclusion in cycling. So it's a it's a nonprofit run um, by uh, one of our, our good friends, Elliot Jackson. Elliot Jackson. Jackson. I can't say the word Jackson, you can't. dude. No. Why do I mess that up all the time? Jackson. Elliot Jackson. Jackson. Uh, Incredible dude. Um, anyways, check out Grow Cycling Foundation. If you're looking to donate to some nonprofits that support kids riding bikes and making the bike industry a better place, check that out. I also wanted to shamelessly plug the new thing that we invented here internally at Worldwide called Worldwide Cyclery Staff Miles for NICA. That's right. Um <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was good. Thank you. Um, where basically uh, Worldwide Cyclery will make donations to NICA on a quarterly basis on behalf of how many miles our staff records on Strava. Mm-hmm. So we we will donate $1 for every mile ridden from miles 1 to 100, 50 cents for every mile ridden miles 101 to 999, and 25 cents for every mile ridden 1,000 plus. That's mm-hmm. on an annual basis, and we make those donations quarterly. So just another something fun thing that we're doing to support NICA and give our staff motivation to ride bikes more. And if you want to check it out, go to our website in the footer. The information's right there, as well as a link to the Strava clubs, and you can see how much we've all ridden. Liam, what are you at for the year? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I'm really bad at Strava. I upload like once every other week. Oh, I see you got one this week. Morning ride, 23.8 miles. Ooh, there That's you go. It's on, the, yeah. it's on the page right now. Latest okay. rides. I did okay. upload this morning. Ooh, okay. Nice. Yep. So I'm um, up to date. Jared, you're on there too. 9.5 yeah. miles. I am almost at 400 for the year. And uh, these legs are feeling pretty good. So you better be ready to just dish out some cash. <laughs> well, you're not getting the cash. And I, get this. <laughs> no, I know they are. I know they are. You better be ready. We are ready. We are ready. Awesome. So, so anyways, that's, that's just a, a quick mention on, uh, some, some feel good things. Um, some feel good ideas. If any of you are out there wondering, Hey, I've got an extra 20 bucks. I want to throw it towards a good cause. Nika, grow cycling foundation. Those are a couple of really good ones out there in the bicycle world to consider. Oh yeah. Um, next up, Suspension Setup 101. So we just recently came out with a YouTube video all about that, which I think it was 18 minutes long. It was really long. I was in it. Yeah. Liam, yeah. Liam, Liam does a whole video. Um, it's, it's basically, you know, if you've got air suspension front and rear on your mountain bike and you need to know and understand what pressure to put in it, your sag, your rebound, your compression, it covers all of that. It is, it is a 101. Suspension is so complicated that we made this. It's hard to make videos like this because some of the feedback we got is interesting. Whenever we make a tech tutorial, especially one on suspension, some people say, hey, this was amazing. It hit just right. Some people say, hey, this was like, this is boring. I already know all this, dude. Like, let's talk about tokens and high speed and low speed compression balance. And then, um, and then other people are like, this was cool, but it's still over my head. Like, could you dumb it down even more? So it's, it's kind of impossible to make a suspension tutorial video that hits everyone correctly, but we tried our best with this one. And I don't know, Liam in, in 30 seconds to one minute, like give it, how do you set up your suspension? I start with air pressure to get sag. And I start with the, uh, rear shock first, then the fork, because if your rear shock is really low or really high, you won't really get the right weight balance on the fork. So then you do air, then I get a rebound because, uh, 
you can pretty much just do air and rebound on most bikes. And and that's how most bikes, I shouldn't say most, that's a, maybe 50% of bikes only have an air and rebound adjustment. They don't really have compression. Then third, I go into compression and start dialing that in. Um, and yeah, pretty much it's just a base setting. It's not expert by any means. Um, there's probably better videos out there, but people asked us over and over and over to do one of these. So we try to do our best. Um, to kind of give you guys a, a baseline setting, things to look out for, and kind of just uh, a guide to get you in that starting position. And it's just a starting position from where you can tweak kind of from there. Yeah, cool. Liam, That's, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask. So, so one thing people are asking is when you're setting your sag, do you leave your compression open or closed? Oh, yeah, a lot of people ask that. Compression open. Compression yeah. open. The other thing people are asking, well, what the heck is open and closed? Open is... I think that was in the video, yeah, but people, all the way people like to clockwise. ask. Counterclockwise, like you're loosening a bolt. Off. Yeah. You're, yeah, off, yeah. yeah you're you're taking way a, to say a it. bolt off. You're, you're, you're essentially unwinding, right. to think of it really easy, you're unwinding a bolt to allow oil to flow through a channel. Right. Yeah. So open to set sag. Right. Yep. And then you dial it back, close it off, and then go to your desired compression settings, basically. Correct. Yes, once you... You you then count your compression clicks or positions from fully closed. Right. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. So that's that's all there in the video. Yeah. And I, I think I mean for the most part, a lot of people really enjoyed that. They thought it was good. Some people did say like a friend of mine was like, "Man, Liam's too good. He guessed so close to the air pressure first try. He's like, have I sat there and tried like nine times to get the right air pressure to even get close to the sag I was supposed to get, and took me a lot of tries. And I was like, well." Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's when the well, Yeti setup guide helps yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah we also, usually bikes have setup guides or yeah. four cas on it. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah like a RockShox yeah. has that one. Fox, you know. Yeah. And now the Fox, they're both really close. Fox and RockShox setup guides are like. RockShox has an app now, right? Don't Trailhead. They? Trailhead. For the forks, not for, for shocks. Right. Okay, gotcha. For the forks, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are really, they get you really close. Yeah. So here, here's another confusing thing that I think, you know, kind of the novice, uh, or just entry level bike rider is going to be confused by is that <clears throat> different forks require totally different air pressure, right? So one fork, just because the size of the chamber and the amount of travel it has and the brand it has, like you yeah. might be like, oh, I'm riding XYZ fork and I use 50 psi, and like now you're on a different fork, you could now be using 150 psi, like totally different. And, yeah. and it could be the same brand. So yeah, it could even be the same brand, just Rock different Shocks, model, different travel, different yeah. amount of tokens. Yeah. Rockshock Lyric, I used to run like 73, 75 psi. Now the Rockshock Zeb, I'm running like 50. 153 psi so drop like 20 psi yep. for the same sag yeah so yeah and that's like exacerbated with rear shocks right because oh, yeah. rear shocks not only the shock is different but then the bike's like actual leverage ratio is totally different so it really throws things off people are like oh yeah just put your body weight in there like nope absolutely <laughs> not that does not work <laughs> you, you can do body weight i work on one to bike. test yeah. Where your sag is at. That's a good starting point yeah. for your shock. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. If you're body like totally weight. clueless, mm -hmm. put body weight pressure in there and then just sit on it and you could get 10% sag or you could get 60. <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. go from there. So Yeah, but that'll that'll give you the idea of kind of where to start. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I guess the, the thing there I think that's important is that like it is complicated and it's important to get right. You don't have to get it brilliantly perfect. You don't have to get it perfect first time, but 
if you have your suspension dialed in and you know and understand what's happening with it, it can really make that bike perform better, therefore making you more comfortable and have more fun, which we ride bikes to have fun. So Mm -hmm. it is important to get your suspension dialed. So it's one of those things that is really necessary for you to, as a rider of any, of any level to invest the time watching YouTube videos and and learning the Mm. stuff and playing with it. I think two things on that. You're not going to get it dialed the first try. Like not even close. Oh yeah, no way. No, it, t- it takes like years uh, to takes, like really understand what's going on. Takes a while to, to understand totally. and know your preference and from your base settings, how we did in the video, um, write that down and continue writing down each change you make. So that, and then I think it's almost more important if you're a novice rider or even a mid-level rider to really focus on suspension setup because that's going to make a huge difference in your traction and riding ability. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're just a talented dude or girl and like you can kind of ride past suspension you know? yeah so yeah yeah totally. it's an advantage like if you have properly tuned <clears throat> suspension and, and your buddy next to you is the same skill level does not like yeah. you will have more traction and like a way better performing bike everywhere on the trail and a better ride yeah yeah exactly so suspension setup it's complicated, but you know, it's not too crazy. Don't get intimidated by it. Watch some videos, test some things. And yeah, like to Liam's point, writing things down. Um, I have for, <laughs> I think over 10 years or maybe over 15 years, I've, I've kept a, a Google drive doc where I have all of my suspension and various related bike things set up. So like my, my actual saddle height, um, you know, center of the bottom bracket to the top of the saddle. And then I have like all the various different bikes that I've ever had and the air pressure that's in what fork and what shock and how many tokens are in there. I just jot all this stuff down, you know, and, and I've just kept it historically. Um, so I could always look back at it reference, you know, that, that is important. I mean, that's a little bit taking it to the next level, but it's also really helpful, especially if you're riding different bikes often, or you're upgrading a lot, or you're down going to demo a bike or trading bikes with your buddy, whatever. So the more you can actually like keep a record of that stuff somewhere, kind of like tires you use in tire pressure, like that's, those are things to write down. Do you have that written down, Jared? It's all up here. Oh, see, oh. see, don't, don't be that guy. <laughs> and I forget <laughs> Write all the things time. down. But, you, but it is like to a certain extent, um, you know, when you change stuff a lot, it does vary. Like, like Liam's point earlier, my, like on my 115, like the pressures, you know, I'm running like a hundred and something PSI in the fork and on my Zeb on my 150, it's like 70 PSI. Yeah. Totally. So it's like, yeah, I should be writing it not down. Not even 100%. remotely the same. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not even remotely the same. Yeah. So yeah, should definitely be writing it down. Write it down, Jared. I'll write it down. And you two listeners, write it down. Write it down. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Norman from Sramino 14 Speed Drives Trains, live on Kickstarter right now and appearing on Shark Tank March 12th. We are developing the world's first 14 speed drivetrain that's going to be absolutely amazing with 140% gear range. It only fits on Super Boost Plus Plus hubs. Check us out now on Kickstarter and make sure to tune into Shark Tank March 12th. And now, back to the show. Fancy new bikes and parts. Fancy, fancy. Got a few few interesting things to talk. Few interesting things to talk about here. That uh, I don't know. New stuff. DT Swiss Limited Edition Oil Slick 240 EXP hubs. Oh, oh, man, those things look good. They made what 250 sets. Yes. No. Uh, they brought 250 sets in the USA. They made oh, a yeah, thousand the worldwide. Wow. Okay. And they sold out in like an hour. They sold out so fast. Anyways, yeah, we're recording this on March 4th when they released them, and we actually worked with DT Swiss to build a 
gorgeous mm. Uno Dash custom build. I made a YouTube video about it, so if you want to see one of the fanciest custom Uno Dashes, number one of 50 for 2021. Uno, the Spanish bike brand, only makes 50 bikes a year per model, handmade, hand-laid-up carbon in their factory in Spain. And we got is, number one. We it's got number one. The creme de la creme, isn't that the right? The creme de la creme. The but that's not French. That's French. Oh, well, you have to I mean, you say, it, that's it what is. you say. It's, it is the creme de la creme. It is the creme de la creme. Yeah, even though that's a French saying, but it's yeah. a yes, Spanish brand. Anyways, that bike was amazing. Uh, check out that YouTube video. Um, it has those hubs on it. They were gorgeous. They're oil slick. They were really cool. I mean, that, that was a limited edition thing they did with the oil slick, but it was more so to kind of talk about and promote the EXP. So if you ever have a DT Swiss hub, it likely has a ratchet system in it, and they've updated sort of the style, the design, Reliability, precision, a few other things with that. Um, all of that's included in that article we wrote on that, right? Along oh, yeah. Accompanying the video. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. So if you want to get nerdy about DT Swiss rear hubs and the new EXP ratchet drive system, um, hit our website and check that out. Or watch the YouTube video and the link to the articles in the description, like all of our YouTube video descriptions. So that's some interesting, cool new stuff. And watch that video in private. Just Pretty FYI. Sweet. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's intense. Yeah. It's, it's like high-end bicycle mountain bike fanciness. Um, next other cool new thing that came out, Maxxis, new-ish tire, well, revised tire. They're shorty. They came out with a Generation 2 or Version 2. I don't know if they're calling it that. Just, they are calling it the Gen 2 oh, shorty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gen 2 shorty. So the shorty is a classic mud spike from Maxxis. Uh, not used often, but you see it a lot in like the World Cup circuit if you follow that. Um, yeah, probably people in Europe use it all the time, yeah, or even people, the northeast. People in Europe that and, rides yeah, mud. northeast, yeah, even BMW probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a specialty tire. So they redesigned that. I don't know how long the original shorty's been. Long time, a long time. Yeah. Same design. I can remember. It works. Years. Uh, they revised this pretty much. They narrowed the casing down a little bit to two four. Um, give them a little bit more clearance and a th- smaller casing kind of helps like cut through the mud better mm-hmm. um, and a little bit different slight tread pattern difference with more siping to clear mud to better. clear mud and to grip if once you get out of the mud on roots and rocks you need the the rubber and the knobs to conform hence the more siping yeah so so if you ride in very moist muddy ish conditions um, check out that new Maxxis shorty and Liam was mentioning that people actually use that tire in ultra ultra powdery dusty stuff is that yeah. real it is like ews chili they'll run real. it um i could see running in it like mammoth at the end of season yeah so ews like, enduro world series yes mountain ews bike, mountain bike racing in often chile. do one in chile near this time of year because it's yeah. the end of their summer yeah. and with some very fine powdery deep like dust silt yeah mm. yeah like it looks yeah, maybe a, maybe a mud stylish tire like the shorty would work in that. Yeah. I've not tried that, but yeah, I've it, I've ran one like a handful of times when it you know we got our occasional rainstorm. I'm like, oh, I can pull out the shorty, <laughs> throw the shorty on for like a week, you know. It's like yeah. fun, you know. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 your uh, review from someone in Southern California talking dry, about mud tires. I'm not I'm not, I'm not reviewing yeah. it. We're just saying it's a new yeah. great yeah, tire from Maxxis. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Next up, the Deviate Cycles Highlander 150. So Deviate yes. Cycles is one of the few brands with a high pivot trail bike. 
high pivot mm. trail bike. High Not pivot. that many of those in existence. No, the the two popular ones right now is the Deviant Highlander, and then Forbidden has two now: the Druid and the Dreadnought. I believe I said that correctly. You did. I think we talked about high pivot designs a bit on the last. We episode, We talked about right? the Dreadnought last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and just high pivot designs in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we so, did. That's correct. Yeah, Deviant has one. It looks really cool. They make a one forty mil travel and a one fifty mil travel. Same frame, different links. Um, it looks awesome, and yeah, I'm those really, are gorgeous bikes. Yeah, I'm really, really curious to try one. I've never ridden a high pivot trail bike, and from what I hear, they have a different ride characteristic. So yeah, yeah, no, cool those, stuff. Those look rad. I so, would love to try one as well. Yeah, agreed. Latest and greatest, interesting new stuff. I think we should do that more with this podcast. We should, we should make sure to always include like all product releases of all kinds. Because sometimes it's hard for us to make videos on everything and write articles on everything. But the podcast would be easier to just inform all of you mountain bikers out there listening that new cool stuff has come out. Um, speaking of which, yeah, well, I was going to say I think you're, I think you're right, and I think Deviate should send us one to ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That would, that would be nice. Pivoting yes, on. You're um, right, pivoting. P- pivoting on. Pivoting to the next pivoting. and final new product that the we're going to discuss. The Pivot Trail 429. Trail 429. What are they the calling it? 2021 or they like call it, yeah, the version um, something? or just 2021. Like, it's the new one. It's, it's the, the new one. It's the one you the new want. One. It's the latest one, the one you want. Yeah. The one you got to get. So this one is a 29er, but you can also run 27.5 plus because it has Super Boost plus rear spacing. You could run a 130 or 130 140-millimeter oh, work. Oh, am I getting you riled up on the Super Boost? We're getting riled up on Jeff the Super Boost. biting our tongues on that one. Super Boost Plus. Wait, what is Super Boost Plus versus Super Boost? It's the same thing. It's just, you know, it's what does the Plus have to do with that? I don't know. That's what they call it. It's just Super Boost Plus because you can run whatever you want. You can run the 29 or Oh, you could ride 27 20, Plus. You can run 27 what that means? Plus. Not even we know what that is, and we literally work in the bike industry 10 hours a day. You know what? It's just, it is what it is, man. DJ Pineapple is just shaking his head, laughing at us. But oh, I, that is what it is. I can tell you yeah, this it bike. It means you can put a plus tire it's on It's got the super boost on it. It's got a 66 degree head angle in its lower setting and a 75 degree seat angle. What's the travel? It's 120 mil rear that. travel. I did say that. You weren't listening. Whoops. Yeah, 130 to 130. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, 130 to 134. 130 to 140 millimeter fork. You can run either size. Oh, okay. You could run a couple gotcha. different wheel sizes, a uh, couple different forks. It's a good yeah. trail bike. And uh, yeah, yeah, it seems like bike. a pretty cool, fun trail bike. Like, this would probably be a pretty fun bike for our area. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. For a lot of areas. General yeah. trail bike. General trail like, bike. One quiver, do it all. One bike, do it all. Yeah, I don't know about this one. <laughs> There's no, do such, it just all. no such thing as that. There's no such thing as that. But, uh, you know, actually says that. Oh. They say do it all. Mm. TVSS Ultimate One Bike Quiver just got bigger. Oh, well, yeah. see, there well, you go. Okay, this is a whole other podcast in itself to talk so, about that topic. I think so. that, that So even, we're just going to have to move on. Right. That confirms the fact that we should get one here to try. <laughs> all of the bikes. We should get all the bikes. Yeah, if you're just, listening and you have a bike, send it to us. So yeah, try so everybody send us Anything your bikes. Anything and everything. <laughs> I don't care if it's a 2010 or a 2021. We just want to ride, ride your it. bike. Yeah. That's all. Please. Nicely, please. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Moving on. Listener questions. Moving on. Listener questions. Do you see e-bikes outselling analog bikes? Liam? Um, Yeah, normal bikes outselling or e-bikes outselling normal bikes. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I think he meant by analog bikes, non-e-bikes. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jared, I, is, Jared is smirking and laughing and grinning, <laughs> like gritting his teeth. Because it's, yeah, okay. I, analog. analog bikes, non-e-bikes, acoustic bikes. Acoustic. Yeah, well. <laughs> analog. That's another time we'll discuss whether you should call non-e-bikes anything other than just bikes. But Will they be digital bikes and analog? Think, do you, do you think, <laughs> Liam, do you think e-bikes will outsell regular bikes at any point? I do. Yeah. I think that they will. Could be a while. It's it, tough, though, because think about. I, but if you look at specialized sales, and from what I hear, they're pretty much selling Levos equal with any other mountain bike. Yeah, but but you're still talking about okay. So I guess the question just needs a little more clarity because if if it's we're talking like full suspension mountain bikes, will e bikes outsell regular bikes? That's true. That's probably going to happen Soon. before any other segment. Yeah. Right, and then followed up by that would be like commuter bikes, maybe. Yeah. Like higher end commuter bikes, like commuter bikes that are 500 plus. Um, road. What about road bikes? I mean, it's, it's gaining traction in the road. It is. Um, I just not saw nearly like, like it is in mountain. No, I just saw a couple like pros that are out riding, and you know their trainers or their friends or the dads have e bikes to keep up with them on the road bike because they're pinning it. Mm-hmm. And there's even EWS or not EWS training going on for like World Tour, where like you know ex pros, um, were riding road e-bikes and basically like pulling the pros to train yeah. them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's very niche. That is niche. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough, right? I mean, I, I think in terms of like full suspension mountain bikes above $2,000, it's probably going to be the first category yeah. that e-bikes outsell regular bikes. If I were to predict it, I think it might happen in five years. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, they are gaining traction fast. Yeah, I, I think in three years they'll be yeah. almost neck and neck. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the there's not like actual proper report data on that whole topic yeah. anyway. So there's like no way we'll ever really know unless you know a whole bunch of brands decide to disclose their you know yeah. private the, numbers. The but big three, big five, yeah, information. So so, so we'll yeah. see. I don't know. It's interesting. But when you're talking all bikes in general, like there's a huge volume of bikes that sell in target and Walmart and Toys R Us and our toys, not Toys R Us. They went out of business, but <laughs> yeah, department store bikes, right? Yeah. Bikes under a hundred dollars. Yeah. You know, I, those are never going to, well, I shouldn't say never, but it's going to be a long time before those are electric. Yeah, what do you think, yeah. Jared? I think part of this could be potentially a generational thing. You know, what if, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years down the line, we're not really interested in this like e-bikes or like they don't kind of phase out a little bit. Like, I don't know. Could be a fad. Could yeah. be one of those things where people realize like the resale value is no good because the bike doesn't last more than three years because the motor and yeah, battery yeah. falls apart. I, I mean, don't know. Yeah. Still a lot of unanswered questions in I, e-bikes, just like electric cars, right? 100%. I also don't think normal bikes are going anywhere, especially in the mountain yeah. bike segment. Like yeah, there's no. still a place Agreed. for them. And like there's still places where you can't ride an e-bike. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. A lot of places. Yeah. Or, or we wouldn't Moab, even want we saw to. that. Like, yeah, Moab, right? Sedona. I don't think you're supposed to ride an e-bike technically right. there. Yeah, like totally. Says it on the thing. Uh, and, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So yeah, could could be a while, but could happen. Next question. I am 225 plus pounds plus gear. Is a Fox 36 better for me? I thought that was a 38. 36 or 38? You said 36. I don't remember what he asked, but I must. <laughs> I guess Here's it's my answer. better than what? Better than a yeah, better than what? It's, yeah. hard, it's a hard question yeah. to answer. Yeah. But in a lot of the video, we talked about the 38, you know, even versus the 36. Like, 
38's for a select few people, in my opinion. You have to be going really fast and or be like a pretty big rider to really notice the overall benefits of how much stiffer that is versus a 36 or versus, you know, any other fork that isn't a 38 yeah. mil stanchion. Or you could do right? Lyric versus Zeb. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I'll say first time I rode a 38, I could immediately tell the difference. I'm almost 200 pounds, you know, like between 190 yeah. to 200 with gear. And I could absolutely tell the difference first time, like the front wheel traction and uh, just the overall like front wheel front end compliance, I guess. Like, yeah, like the precision of it because yeah, you have no 100%. flex in any direction. So it's like riding a dual crown downhill fork. Yeah. Like it's so precise when you point the wheel and turn the bars and the responsiveness you get from it. It's hundred percent. Yeah, it is pretty shocking, but I yeah. mean, what you know and that is more of a noticeable difference the bigger you are and the faster you're going right probably more so the faster you're or the going. technical of the trail yeah that too yeah, yeah if it's really technical right yeah. i mean it'll just be a little more weight you know mm-hmm. just that front end is going to track real nice yeah so dig into yeah there's been actually a good bit of youtube videos and topics covering like 36 versus 38 which kind of go over mm-hmm. that same kind of thing so yeah. there you go sir um, next question is how long do you think it will take if I order something? Well, well, um, th- this is a challenging thing in the bike industry right now because the whole industry was just, just experienced extreme consumer demand throughout 2020. Um, that depleted inventory really quick. Um, that's been discussed a million times by us and a ton of other people in the industry. And it's, and it's left us in a position in early 2021 where a lot of product is out of stock and there's also just a lot of demand still you know because because a lot of people ride and a lot more people picked up the sport because it's just a good fun socially distant thing to do um where that's put the whole industry us included as like a large e-commerce retailer and you know three local stores you know inventory is harder to come by it comes in small batches and the brands and the distributors are trying their best to distribute sort of a nice portion to every retailer, right? And that means that nobody's really getting a lot of anything. Um, so if you're waiting on something and some retailer of any any retailer gets something, it might be gone really fast um, because they didn't get a lot of it. So It has been going fast. Yeah, it has been going fast. So, yeah. so act fast. And I mean, on our website in particular, if it says, you know, add to cart and you can check out and do that whole normal process, then you got like a 99.9% chance of like, we got it. We're going to ship it out. There's these very rare scenarios where we will accidentally oversell something because two people will buy it simultaneously or someone will buy it in the store or on eBay and also on the website in like the same 10 second period. And then you get what we call an oversell and we'll immediately contact you and give you your money back and apologize. That's very rare, but it is happening much more now to everyone, us included, um, to everyone in anything e-commerce, especially the bicycle industry. Oh yeah. So, so be prepared and, and just thoughtful of that. And, you know, we have a thing on our website where if a product's out of stock, you can drop your email and get notified when it comes back. When you get that email act immediately, or you might not get it depending on how popular it is. So, so that's what's going on there. But, you know, we're working around it as absolute best we can. And again, if it says add to cart, you know, you got like a 99.9% chance that like you're good. It's going to ship out. Everything's going to be normal. Small percentage, it's going to be an oversell. Um, and there's a higher percentage, it's just going to say out of stock, drop your email. So um, Jared deals with that stuff a lot. He actually answers phones and emails, customer support here. So if you want to pick his brain more on that, hit him up Please at Jared do. Beerman on Instagram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or Jared at WorldWideCycler.com. <laughs> 
Um, so I don't know. I, I wanted to answer that question because this is a challenging topic that we're trying to communicate on more. So everyone who is a consumer like you guys listening that are, are riding bikes and buying bikes and parts and everything know what's happening to everyone in the industry and the influx of demand that sort of we're all dealing with as manufacturers and retailers and, and the such. Um, next question. Why did you open up a shop in Lancaster? So Lancaster is in Pennsylvania. It's on the East coast. We're originally from Southern California, a bit North of LA. Um, we're most of our sales is probably everyone listening. That's familiar with us are online and we ship all over the country, all over the world. And a lot of that goes to the Eastern half of the U S. So for us, it was just a logistics play. We wanted to be able to ship things to everyone on the Eastern half of the U S faster. So we opened up a store in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Then we opened up another one in Reno, Nevada. Once again, being closer to all these brands and distributors, it's all shipping time. We know everyone, including us, when you buy something on the internet, you want it fast. So we're trying to meet that demand from everyone and create a great customer experience. Um, I like those two questions because they're very business related and nerdy and, uh, well, nerdy business wise. Now let's do a bike nerd question real quick. Do you think electric suspension like Fox live valve will be the next standard? Liam, Jared, Mm. answer this. I guess I'll go first. I, it's hard to see that in the future, like 10 years from now, this would be something like a standard just due to how much it would cost to like implement this into basically every single bike. Uh, I think it'll be more common on higher end bikes for sure. Like, you know, right now you can only really get them on like what, three or four models at yeah, all. Like the bike actually has to, the frame has to be designed for right. the mounting, like how everything's mounted to the right. frame. Yeah. So do I think it'll be the next standard? No. Do I think it'll be more common? Yes. Um, from what I've heard, like, yeah, it works really well, but it might not be for everybody. So I guess that's my take on it. Yeah. Liam? Yeah, um, pretty similar to what Jared said. I think it'll be more of a standard on a very high-end, mid-to-low travel bike. Um, Take that Pivot 429, for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pivot is actually one of the brands, I believe, specking their bikes with Live Valve already. Yeah, it is. So, so, yeah, like a a, a full-blown cross-country race bike, a lightweight trail bike, Mm -hmm. um, something around the 120, 130-mile travel I think it's great, and I do think it will catch on, especially once they figure out the, you know, the quirks, and you know, as iterations come, it gets mm-hmm. cheaper and cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll work its way down. I believe it's still like pretty darn expensive. Yeah, yeah to absolutely. get on it, it's like two grand maybe for the yeah. So like, add that just on a, to have that just yeah for the over the normal stuff. Yeah. Which exactly. Is already so really add good. that on yeah. an eight thousand dollar bike. You're at, you're at ten yeah. plus. Yeah. Um, you know, and whether it's going to be. A standard, whether it's going to like really, really improve your ride, not sure yet. It's not t- kind of too early to tell, but yeah, um, I think it has its spot. And I think for certain situations, it could be a standard, but I don't think you'll see it on any big travel right. kind of bikes yeah. as a standard in the next 10 years. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I definitely agree with what you guys said, but I'd also like to add that I think it's like a diminishing returns thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's one of those things that, I mean, the difference between the highest end Fox suspension right now on your bike versus that same suspension with live valve. Mm -hmm. I mean, better, maybe yes. Certain cases. Sure. How much better, you know, two grand better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. To me, it's like, I always talk about the innovation plateau. I think mountain bikes are so good. It's going to be really hard for them to get, you know, 
significantly better. I think that's a very yeah, negligible next step. Yeah, that's a very negligible gain, and yeah. it's really expensive. Kind of reminds me of the trust fork, right? The trust message, trust performance. So if everyone remembers that, mm-hmm. it was that linkage fork that got really big, and it was very incredibly it worked good like i i personally like i said in the video you know i I talked a lot about it um i think it i think it's better like i think it was the best fork i'd ridden but it had some you know it it was heavier and at least at that version of it trust performance is unfortunately no longer in business um but i i thought the given the cost uh, it just wasn't worth like you know it was like one of those things like "Eh, it's five percent better but it's like 200 percent more expensive like yeah i don't yeah. think companies like i don't know if, i don't know if that's a sustainable business strategy per se it's hard to justify as a consumer it's very hard to justify yeah which is you know trust obviously is no longer here fox is in a very different yeah. situation they're yeah. a multi-million dollar company experimenting yeah, yeah they're it's they can a afford totally to take a gamble thing. like yeah. this touching back yeah. on on live valve mm-hmm. um i think back to you know five eight years ago where like Remote lockouts were much more common on bikes mm-hmm. uh, because they kind of needed it. Now they've kind of developed suspension. It works so well now. Right. You don't really need it in a small travel bike. Yeah. So it's kind of like one of those things is like, it was live valve just fixing an issue that might get figured out soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. So I, I would, I would like, if you're like 10 years out, I would go f- totally 50, 50 on whether that electric suspension even exists. Yeah, like now I, I don't know if it even will, but it could. I but I wouldn't. I wouldn't give it odds I, that it will. I'd give I it could 50, see 50. some electronic lockouts. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that's wireless. kind of always been around, and will always make sense for like your brains. Like, yeah. But, but I, that also I mean, like a like, reverb axis. Yeah, but it locks your rear shock out. Yeah, yeah. With a little unit, I could see that being. I would take that for sure over quicker, yeah. easy to install, you know, probably won't cost mm-hmm. $2,000 because it's not monitoring it. You're monitoring when you want to do it, Yeah, but it'd be really clean and really easy to put on a bike. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like if you have live valve, what are the things that can go wrong with this system? Like when you take your bike into a shop, like, Hey, my live valve isn't working. Like what? <laughs> you're, you're the worrier guy. Yeah. Like what, yeah. what do they do? Like, how do they diagnose and fix your live valve? Like you, you're going to have to send like your whole bike into Fox. I mean, that's, that's like, kind of what happened to cars though, right? Cars yeah. used to be very mechanical and yeah. now like any modern car, even in the last like 15 years is like, yeah. you're a software program, you're right? Like okay. you're a software guy more so than a mechanic. Yeah. yeah. Most, most cars are, uh, mechanics are actually called technicians now Yeah, yeah. because yeah. of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, might happen with bikes, with e-bikes, and this. Who knows? True. Uh, we'll see. The future will be interesting. Absolutely. Um, the the last question we had, which I asked Liam to write down, was something about like, do we have any job openings? And he didn't write that down. He just actually wrote down the current job openings we have. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but the question, question, the answer is yes, we do. Do you have any job yeah. openings? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the answer is yes. Um, we have a. If you go to our website and you scroll down to the bottom on, in the footer of the site, we have a thing that says we're hiring. You can always drop your resume there. If you're interested in working for us, we would we would love it if you could drop your resume. We're kind of always hiring. Um, we have three locations and we're hiring for different positions in different locations at different times. Currently, we've got three spots open in California: a uh, mechanic position, a warehouse lead position, and a customer support slash retail store position. So, um, yeah, drop us drop us a line. We're we're kind of always hiring and we're we're always expanding the team and trying to build a great company culture here. So. That is it for episode 80. Thank you very much for listening. If you've made it this far, we would like to say... 
Thank you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Yes. And uh, please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. (laughs) Everyone's looking at me laughing. Please Um, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening to the MTB podcast presented by Worldwide Cyclery. See you guys later. Peace. Later. Later.